0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app available for your smartphone or online from your computer and they both link up together. So, in addition to having the number one GPS hunting app out there, they've also had, I want to kind of go over some good news that Onyx has been a part of recently. So, the New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey landlocked report is now published on Onyx's we- website. So, what that is, is their latest partnership with the Theodore Re- Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. They've tackled identifying landlocked public lands in New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. So this report builds on some of the success of their past projects. They did one in the Midwest for inaccessible public lands and then also one's um, inaccessible state lands in the West. Um, back in 2019. So utilizing the Onyx land ownership, roads, trails, and water data sets, Onyx found that more than 80,000 acres of public lands in New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey are entirely surrounded by private property and have no permanent legal means of access for hunting and fishing. So these public land opportunities, um, you know, they ensure that we all have opportunities to to get out there as far as as an American right. And regardless of our income, you know, our connections uh, or property ownership. So even small parcels of some of the undeveloped land can offer some valuable outdoor opportunities. And so what this report tried to do is figure out, you know, where these landlocked areas are, see what the potential is for being able to, you know, unlock them essentially. And what, what that means is like, you know, is there a way of, the state being able to buy some of that land from private owners—is it they able to work out a deal for access, whatever that might be? This report at least shows you where the issue is and, and be able to identify it. So, if you want to read the full report and give some more detail than what I, you know, went over here, go to onxmaps.com/landlocked-public-lands and you can check that out. But uh, also, if you want to check out the OnX Hunt app, if you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the app. The University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 to put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. So this course has 17 different modules. It goes through every different phase in the planning all the way through the end of the hunt. Everything in between, elk behavior, calling, fitness gear and literally it doesn't leave any details out it's extremely helpful your one-stop shop for learning elk hunting if you head over to elk101.com and use a coupon code east meets west or save yourself 20 percent off a one-year membership to the university of elk hunting and last but not least tethered so tethered has developed and created the lightest weight most innovative hunting gear mobile hunting gear available and it's really changing the game when it comes to mobile hunting and specifically in the saddle hunting community it's a niche community that they've really focused on solving people's problems in a way that is is beneficial and is lightweight but yet strong and safe so Tethered has a bunch of new products out right now over on their website, and from what I'm being told, there's more to come. So if you head over to tetherednation.com, you can check out that new gear as well as learn a little bit more about saddle hunting if you are new to it. So check that out, and... So on today's podcast, I am uh, jumping on the line. We're switching gears a little bit here. We're, we're done with the caribou stuff for a little bit, and we're going to jump into Mountain Bucks. And Troy, who better to bring on to get this series kicked off than Troy Pottinger. So Troy has been a uh, guest on here twice before and has definitely been a crowd favorite. His enthusiasm and his just record has shown that He's very successful, and he's definitely very passionate about what he does, and it's really great. I'd, I've become great friends with Troy through doing this podcast, and just him and I talk pretty often. He's just a great guy and can learn so much from him. On this one, we're talking about targeting a specific mountain buck and really going through the story of the deer that he's currently hunting, but th- I think there's so many things that can be learned from this one, and... If you really pay attention to it, that, you know, you can pull this information from the mountains, Idaho, and apply it to the Appalachian Range or wherever else that you might be hunting. So, anyways, check that out, and in other news, as far as back back talking about the caribou hunt, um... So, as uh, the last three video series podcast came out, uh, hopefully everyone checked that out, and I'd love to hear some more feedback on that if you liked it. If you didn't want to see some more of it, let me know. Um, but we do have um, the film itself is being worked on still, and when I say still, I mean, it's only been a few weeks since we've been back, but looking at probably an October 11th release date on the film. So... Pretty pumped to see how it's coming along so far. Justin's working his ass off to get this out. So really excited to get that rolling. But until then, uh, enjoy this podcast with Troy Pottinger. And I'll be doing some Q&A podcasts coming up. So send over any questions that you might have or things you want answered on the podcast. Enjoy. All right. I'm live and... Talking on the, the podcast here through the computer, through the phone from half well, most of the way across the United States to uh, a previous guest and, and good friend of mine now, Troy Pottinger. How's it going, man?
0: Hey Bo. It's going great and it's freaking awesome to be back on your show. I love your I, I love your podcast, man. I just got done listening to your caribou when yesterday on my way to the tree stand.
1: <laughs> How what'd you think?
0: You guys, I'm I'm shooting. I'm gonna shoot straight, straight as can be, and I'm gonna put it out there. You guys are, you guys really are entertaining. Plus, you're doing some great (laughs) hunts. You had me cracking up. I mean, I I got a 300 mile round trip on this buck I'm hunting, and I work, and I get off work, and I bail, and I drive the half half of it, you know, a couple hours to get there, and I get a hunt for two hours, and then I got to drive the 150 miles back home. So I'm on these podcasts and the truth of the matter is some podcasts are kind of boring. Mm-hmm. You, you guys, this stuff is awesome. Like you got me laughing. You got the helps the time pass your guys. You guys just hunt are awesome. I just get it. You guys just make me smile. I'm serious. <laughs> that, that caribou hunt. And the last, the one I listened to is when you guys were wrapping it up. And I, I think you said you might do one more. So I don't know if you have one more out there. But it was after you guys killed those two bulls.
1: Yeah. No, that's the last one. That's the last one then.
0: Okay. I, well, I loved it. You literally had me laughing out loud in my truck, driving up to hunt this deer. (laughs) And, And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, just great content for people, enjoyable. Plus you guys are up there getting it done
1: yeah well thank you we like to we like to have fun when we hunt and you know work hard and and also just you know make light of things and and just enjoy it and that's what's it's it's good when you do have you know with the the whitetail gig it's mostly a a solo type of deal so when i get to do these trips with some of my buddies it's uh it's it's a lot of fun
0: you you spoke about how you're you're a bit of a loner too and you don't always like being around a lot of guys but it sounds sounds like too, you got the right guys with you in camp because you're able to be with those guys for endless amounts of days with 20 hours of daylight and you're still getting along and making it work.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And, um, I, I, I really appreciate those, those kind words there. Cause we had, we had blast getting to record that one and just talk about the process. Hopefully that other people can, you know, learn from it. And if they want to make a hunt like that happen, that they can.
0: Yeah, you made me want to go, and I've. It's funny, I've got an uncle that lives in Wasilla. Really, and, and yeah, and he spent he's for years. He Troy, come up and hunt caribou with me, and my white tail fricking one track mind always have kept me down here, and because I have that early archery season that's already open. Mm-hmm. Um, but listening to you guys talking about the country, every person needs to go to Alaska at least once, and I'm gonna
1: yeah hey the one good thing is they do open up like august 1st i think's caribou hunting up there so you could go up even earlier
0: yeah i could go up on my summer break and and I think it's something I'd want to do with my son, Tyson or Jess or both of them, if they both want to go. And what's cool is you guys were able to use a rifle too, right?
1: Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun too. Just, uh, different than carrying a bow in the woods. And I, I love bow hunting. I mean, that's what I do 90% of the time, but man, it was, it was fun to carry a rifle around and change it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I'm a diehard bow hunter, really haven't picked up a rifle, but for a hunt like that, I totally get it because it's a one, it's a one time deal. It's a, it's a bucket list hunt. And gosh, I think I definitely want to put the cards in my favor if I'm only going to do it once, you know, maybe go back like you guys were talking about another time and maybe try it, try it with a bow, you know?
1: Yeah. That's, that's the way we thought about it written when they were telling us that you might get dropped off and like the wide open tundra be difficult to stalk, I was like, I don't want to leave, uh, you know, that up to chance with this, like that, for me for this type of hunt it doesn't change the experience whether it's with a bow or rifle so that's that was kind of my justifying factor in my own head with it
0: yeah and i think changing the experience is the key it's like that kind of hunt it's it's way more than just uh swinging an arrow up there it's all about just like you said you might not ever go back you probably will but yeah you know i'd i'd love to drag my sons up there with me who would just it would just be a blast like you three guys had you know Yeah. you're just out there with the guys and you get it done and and it's you know you're you're pretty deadly out to probably three four hundred yards so you got a pretty good chance
1: yep yep exactly I, i would definitely recommend it i think you guys would have a blast doing it but
0: right on man so
1: troy before um before we go into this one here too far i'd like to uh give the listeners just a little bit of a background on you if, if they haven't already, which the episodes with you have been uh, a couple of my top episodes as far as downloads. I mean, they're everyone loves when I have Troy pottinger on and I like talking to you, but just in case someone's uh, missed any of those, just give a brief background on yourself.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm a born and raised North Idaho boy up in the panhandle. I live, I live fairly close to Canada. Uh, spent my whole life in montana idaho washington running around in the woods dad was a logger uh so i grew up you know having a father that was a hardcore worker and my mom was a teacher and uh athletics and sports were really big in our family and i was a you know i love football i was a high school and college football player so just kind of lived that real active lifestyle always hunted uh my dad was dragging me out in the woods i remember Chucker hunting with my dad. I think I've talked about this before. When I was four or five years old, and I just grew up in a mountain family. You know, my dad was a logger, so uh... and it was funny. My dad went to Boise State University and was like ten credits from getting his biology degree. And back when he was young, the logging industry was way more money than being a teacher or something. So he was at that time in the history of the United States where logging was very lucrative, and he really did well at it. All that to say uh, so so education was always really important to my family too. And, uh, I kind of followed in both my parents' footsteps. I, I teach school. This is my 26th year in North Idaho in post falls. And, uh, I've got five years left to teach in and I've grown up, uh, heart, you know, I just fell in love with whitetails when I was 10, 11 years old out on our little 50 acre family ranch. And they intrigued me so much that, I just dove into whitetails head first when I was young, didn't know anything about them and kind of learned on my own. My dad was more of an elk and a mule deer hunter. Anyway, all that to say, I jumped into it and fell in love with whitetails and started bow hunting whitetails when I was pretty darn young. And out West, nobody was really doing it in the mountains. And I've spent over 30 some, 35, what am I, 50 years old. So 38 years I've hunted and or bow hunted mountain whitetails since I was a kid and uh, love it and have had some good success and, and pretty much devoted my entire life to it outside of my family and and uh, friends that's it you know it's just what I do and I don't spend a lot of time outside of work and family doing anything but watching my boys either bass fish or tournaments or play football or I'm whitetail hunting and of course I love to elk hunt I love to bear hunt and been successful there too but boy is a bow and arrow and Mature, giant mountain bucks is what I love to hunt. And that's where I'm at now.
1: So when do you hunt uh, elk and mule deer? Because <laughs> so I, 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 I your you season starts at you know beginning of September right. for whitetails.
0: Right. And, Bo, I don't hunt a lot of mule deer, but I hunt elk and bear a lot. Okay. Oh, yeah. turkey in the spring.
1: Mule deer is on the same tag, right?
0: Right. If a big muley happened to come by me, I can actually in Washington and Idaho shoot a muley or a whitetail. Okay, And I hunt both states every year. Uh, when do I actually hunt my elk? What I do, what I do every year is, is I look at the equation on the buck that I'm hunting. And like right now, the big deer that I'm targeting, I'm only hunting one buck. You know, and I've got 50, 60 bucks on trail cameras all over. But I've got one I've picked out. And I've got some other studs that are secondary to him because he's just so tremendous for a public land deer. What I'm doing right now, and every year it's a little different, but I'm basing my elk hunts off of when it's not a real favorable time to hunt that buck. And he's, a, I've got this big deer right now, frequenting my area, just, he's more of an evening buck than a morning buck as far as moving for me. And, and interestingly enough, he's, he's moving uphill, which a lot of big deer in my country won't move uphill in the evening as much as move kind of down slope at dark and look for feed and all that down lower. But this deer is doing some different stuff. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm diving into the elk in the mornings, all that to say Bear in the morning. And then if, if that big deer shows me any sign that he's killable in the mornings, I'll switch. But right now, elk and bear in the mornings, all archery and then evening hunts are for my big deer. Every chance I get, He's also so far away from my home that on, I can't drive it every day. I couldn't even afford to do it. It's a 300 mile round trip. So to hunting, I'm picking two to three days a week that I can get up there hunting for a couple hours or on the weekend, you know, a plenty of time to get in there, but I'm also trying to elk and bear hunt. So I'm trying to do it all. Like I literally have a tree stand three miles from him to where I can hunt bear in the morning and then go hunt him in the afternoon. <laughs> you know? So I'm playing that game, Bo, and then I'm chasing elk every free second I have that I'm not hunting that deer.
1: Mm-hmm. I gotcha. I, I was wondering how that worked out because I know that you know like your focus on whitetails and everything else is so high. But it, you've I've seen pictures that you've sent me and, and stuff before that you've you've killed a lot of elk and you you know and bear like you've hunted all of those you know with within your you know ridiculous. Um, I guess amount of big mountain whitetails that you killed, but I I just wondered how you uh, balance that and when you fit that into your schedule.
0: (laughs) I just try to squeeze in every ounce of daylight hunting something outside of my work and my boy playing football and my other boy and his bass tournament weigh-ins. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. I, I, I definitely respect that. And you seem to have, you know, a really good balance of family in and work and, and deer hunting. And I think that's, that's pretty incredible too, to be able to do that.
0: I appreciate that, Bo. The most important thing to me on this planet is my kids and my wife and my family, hundred uh, percent. But my wife always tells me that if you do your job as a husband around the house and you do your job as a father, it's pretty easy to support the hunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that she's that supportive of you too. And, and, you know, and just, And vice versa. I think that's a, that's really a a big note and something I've learned from getting to know you, you know, whether we're talking or, um, seeing your Instagram and Facebook and stuff, it's, it's very apparent that family is really important to you. And that's, I think that's really cool.
0: Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. And, you know, in this world nowadays, I like seeing that by a lot, you know, I think us men out there got to lead by example and not by just, you know, talk. Yep. So, yeah. I, I,
1: I, hey, I, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. There's uh uh, I like to say that, well, I don't like to say, but kind of a dying breed.
0: Yeah. And you know, my wife puts, I, I tell you what, she's a widow, a widow during whitetail season. <laughs> you know, she's just, like just now I just told her, I got, I actually, Bo, I got, I scheduled, I was able to schedule with you today and one other guy, Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt. I'm doing back-to-back podcasts so that i have so i can hunt tomorrow you know what i mean i try not to even schedule other things on separate days because this buck that i'm after right now just means that much to me to be as efficient as i can with my time
1: yeah no i i, I understand that 100 percent. but um well cool i um as, as we, you know, start talking about this here, you, you mentioned something that I'd like to just kind of dive into at the beginning here. And I want to hear about your season to date. And I want to hear about this buck that you're
0: hunting. Okay. So this buck that I'm hunting is a buck that, uh, we found two years ago and, and tremendous genetics young. And then last year, pretty sure he was four and a half last year I was, I was pretty dead set on it that he was three and a half four and a half now five and a half um but he boy he really from an antler standpoint just tremendous uh for a public land mountain whitetail and uh you know got the itch had to go take a look at him early season hung a stand on him went in I, I was talking to you a little bit about this off the phone before or off the air before we started and I just was sitting in the tree stand the first couple days hunting. I think we hunted him two days max early, you know, September 1st on anyway. And I just told my son walking out of the tree stand last year, I said, I'm done with this guy. And he's like, what? And I said, this guy's four and a half years old. And I would sit in the tree stand and look at pictures of him on my phone and study him. And I think he's only four and a half. So I said, I'm going to go hunt a different buck that we know is six. And we're going to let this guy go. So to jump fast forward now, this buck this year, oh, I, uh, I knew from last season just because I ran trail cameras on him all season and I didn't really even set on him. I still ran cameras to monitor him. I, I could tell by the, the lack of daylight period and his absences that I was too far away from where I think he was hiding out. So in May of this year, I, I, I literally took my shed dog with me in May. And we spent three days just living in our living in my truck, uh, sleeping overnight in my truck in May. And I did three days of hiking, walking, you know. And, and in May you got pretty long days, uh, daylight till dark, looking for his sheds. And we never did find his antlers, and it's probably because he migrated. Uh, and he's at a high elevation, but we thought I thought he might pick him up in there. He might have dropped early. But what we did find in, in my uh, scouting and, and all of that on him was I found quite a, 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 good, a good distance away from where I was last year. You know, not a huge distance, but a, a big enough distance to where I felt like I'd get closer to him and where he might be in the early season based on, the, you know, the heat. And I got real close to it north, and I found a giant community scrape that is just unbelievable. And I thought, this is his. This has to be his. He has to own this and know this. He's easily the most dominant, biggest, heaviest, strongest looking deer in the area. So in May, I I opened that up. I I freshened it up in May. I put cameras on it. And he hadn't moved back into his summer-fall range yet. But I stayed patient. And sure enough, in June, he showed up on it. And once he showed up, I've got him... I get him on camera almost every night at least. And I get him in the day through the summer. I was getting him daytime all the time. And then it got really hot, really hot in the middle of August and nobody's near him and nobody's bothering him. And I don't have any mountain lions on camera and I can't, can't say they're not in there, but I know they are, but they haven't been right through the scrape. But anyway, he, uh, middle of August he started acting like a big mountain deer does and he quit moving a lot. And it was like 95 degrees out. and Then we had all the forest fires you probably see on the news. Yep. We got fires everywhere out here. And then all my cameras everywhere slowed way down with all this smoke. And you know, so it's not just him, but he started really just chilling out without even being hunted. He started just doing nighttime stuff only. Well, As it started to cool down, I've been playing it pretty careful because I know I'm close to him and I've broken down hundreds and hundreds of videos of him and I've got the wind, I've got the wind dialed there and I've had every deer that's on my camera come by me, but two so far that are up there in the daylight already and I've been setting in 90 degree weather. So last, this Monday, this Monday while I was working, he actually daylighted for the first time again, since, since August 20th. So he's, I've got, so Bo, what I've got, this is how I feel where I'm at with him right now. He likes this scrape. He walks through it. He sent checks it all the time. Uh, I'm very close to him because he usually shows up about 20, 30 minutes to an hour after dark. So I know he's not real far. And in the summer he was daylight from eight o'clock in the morning, sometimes all the way through the day, just real odd random times. So I know I'm pretty close. And and where I'm perched at is I'm on a Northeast face and I got a big North, huge Canyon full of timber for miles, 200 yards from me. So all he has to do is dive in that North, stay cool. There's water down there. Uh, There's tributaries real close to him. Uh, I'm close to all that. I'm just now waiting for him with the weather conditions, with the cool temps, e- even moving through this hard horn phase, you know, and, and I think a lot of guys know this, as soon as they go hard horn, they kind of act different for about a week. They always do, the big guys. or That's been my experience. Yep, They literally just kind of do some different stuff when they go to hard horn. Well, now he's starting to show up day by day by day, more tendency towards daylight, and I actually if I'd have been sitting in my stand Monday and obviously they can't know you're there but if i would have been sitting in my stand monday i could have shot him in legal daylight so so i'm getting pretty optimistic on him uh i'm definitely not running him out of the country and i'm definitely close enough to catch him in the daylight so that's where i'm at right now literally going to go hunting tomorrow after work
1: oh that's that's so exciting hopefully when by the time this releases you have him on the ground which i have no doubt in that but what i want to ask a couple questions about this so do you, how, do you have any idea how big you think his range is? Like from where you were picking right him now, up last year to this year?
0: Right. I Last year when I picked him up, and these are my opinions based on my experience with mountain bucks and age, four-and-a-half-year-old bucks are a lot like 25-year-old men. They roam. They cover a lot of ground. When my bucks start getting to five and six years old, they're like a man that's a little older, 30s, 40s, starts to settle down a little bit. And, and you know, the nitpickers are going to say, no, 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 it's their personality. Well, it is their personality, too. That, that is true. Yeah, Their personality will drive them to act different than some other deer. But I'm saying as a whole, what I've seen over the years with my older deer that get to five, and, and, I, and I can guarantee you, if I kill him and a biologist looks at his teeth, he's at least five. I can guarantee that. I know he's not four and a half this year. He just body. I have him for a couple years on camera already. We, I mean, it's pretty easy to see where he's and he's making big jumps and getting real heavy. But all that to say, the home range right now to me and where I moved, I feel like I'm in his wheelhouse, and I have him almost every day, either early in the morning, right before dark or daylight, or literally. I got out of my tree stand last week and he walked through my scrape 21 minutes later. <laughs> so, so, so Bo, what's that tell you? And I'm a legal Eagle. I film everything. I don't stay late. As soon as legal shooting light is up, I'm done. I'm out of my stand. I get out of there. As soon as I legally can't hunt with my camera and my bow, I'm out. And we've always done that. Cause you know, the last thing I want to do is shoot a great big buck, uh, with poor camera light, not get it on film when I'm trying to film. Yeah. Yeah. So all this to say, he missed me by 21 minutes over a week, a little over a week, about a week ago, actually. And then Monday he was daylight. He was legal daylight in the evening. Uh, And he's there all the time. So I don't want to jinx myself, but I definitely haven't been blowing him out of the country. No,
1: no, no, no. That's, that's, that's pretty incredible too. The fact that, you snuck in there and he came in that soon after and then showed up, you know, a few days later in daylight, you know, a buck of that yeah. age doesn't miss right. a whole lot either.
0: He doesn't. And embo- he showed in daylight because, you know, I was paying close attention to the weather patterns. It started to cool down. Our pressures changed. And sure enough, just like he should. And the moon's getting a lot, you know, the moon's much better than the- I was hunting him hard over Labor Day weekend on a full moon, you know, pretty full moon, pretty full. And and coming off a full moon, my biggest issue was, and i talked to all my buddies about this across the country that are really into the moon. My biggest issue was the 90 plus degree temperatures and Mm -hmm. the smoke. Uh, That's something that not everybody's dealing with right now. And I saw it on even my cameras, hundreds of miles, like literally hundred or 200 miles away. I got cameras strung all over North and South. I got a couple that, we're over a hundred miles away on cell cameras where I have cell service down south, and all my cell cameras literally died too, like meaning nothing was moving. Yeah, so I was still I was still getting him to move and he, what's going on at my these scrapes that I found and that I'm overmarking uh, is all the younger bucks that hit them and they're just some little guys in there and one really nice three year old. Uh, they're starting to hit them more frequently. And I feel like he will pick up his daylight activity if he doesn't know I'm there. He's got to not know I'm even in the area, and I think I might get a crack at him. And my goal is to kill him in the next, you know, before September's over, because then, then my bow season's over for a little while. So I'm really working hard to kill this deer September.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, in, that's incredible, too, that, you know, you know hunting, uh, you know, a giant mountain buck like that, this early on, you know, that's just something that you don't hear much of. And, and, you know, even myself, I never really, I, I don't get a whole lot of time to hunt early, Um, you know, like one day a week in October, and, and I can hunt after work a little bit, but I work till either four or five o'clock. And as it starts getting into October, you know, by the time I drive to a spot, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I never thought like a whole lot about it as an option. You know, most of the time I spent was in the end of October and then in November in the rut. And, you know, you've really helped me, you know, think a little bit more about that. And, and, and just, in the fact that, you know, the, the fact that they're working scrapes and as you're just, you know, a giant proponent of it, as, as I am learning from yourself and and my dad growing up and stuff, how great scrapes can be at all times, you know, actually I'm running um, buck fever synthetics from you and uh, I'm having some really great results. I haven't even told you about that yet, but it's been, been really good all through August and into September.
0: I, uh, I love hearing that though and it's really kind of, since the podcast world come out and I've got to speak about it a little bit, you know, I am a, obviously a detailed scrape hunter, but I also am hunting every other thing out, every factor biologically you can imagine feed water, you know, all the, all the pressures, the wind, the condition, everything, the thermals. I mean, sometimes I also get, I, I don't get in deep enough to all the other factors cause everybody wants to talk scrapes. Yep. Um, One thing that's really interesting about this buck, and if I kill him, I'll release all the videos, or I'll have whitetail addictions do it, is this buck absolutely loves sugar. (laughs) I have huckleberries everywhere where I'm hunting, Mm -hmm. and I still have huckleberries. And I have video of this guy eating huckleberries like a bear. Really? So, So what's interesting is I'm hunting him on native huckleberry feed, which is 100% legal out here. He's just eating huckleberries like a bear. And to me, it's a carbohydrate sugar thing that he likes. And I'm in a huckleberry patch where I'm set up. My scrape literally is surrounded by millions of huckleberry plants in the timber. So it's just a, I got down into a spot where he's comfortable in the summer, where he's acting like now that the, you know, and the, the truth is the start of hunting season kicked in. And all of the traffic picks up when it starts in the woods. The mountains have pickups running around in them. Guys are moose hunting, bear hunting, elk hunting all over. So the truth of the matter is, some of his, in my opinion, not moving in the daylight has to do with that. He's not a dummy. He can hear rigs, he can hear stuff coming. Uh, The heat, the heavy smoke, everything. And he also knows that he can lay down. All day long, literally stand up and eat anywhere he wants to for no joke, tens of thousands of acres of native feed everywhere. There's no destination food source in these mountains um, that, unless you put one out. That is know? so
1: that that point you said there is something that that I was hoping that you were going to dive into because that is that it's is just, so hard for people to understand that.
0: There is no destination food source because food is every direction everywhere. We have a plethora of water in our drainages. Even in the hot summer, we still have seeps, creeks running year-round. Uh, our tributaries are, and, and springs are running out of the ground. You've been out in the West. You've been in Idaho. You saw it when you will kind of be dry as hell everywhere, and you'll come into a seep or a spring. Yeah. You know, i nowhere in a drainage. Uh And this guy, I've walked all of his ground in May when we did that. When I did three days up there, daylight till dark every day, um, I walked, I think I probably, you know, on a map, I probably walked a couple thousand acres total because I was daylight till dark nonstop, 12, 15 miles a day with Hank. And we really got to walk, and I found close water sources. That's one reason why I was pumped when I found that scrape it's only about four or 500 yards from a great water source down in a drain, down in the North face. So, and that's where he comes from, you know, Bo, I run video on him. So all of my evidence that I have right now on him, I've got windicators in the video all the time. I have the old man's beard hanging. I'm literally watching him walk in with even, even at night, I watch what Wendy walks in with and he's coming from that North face, which it makes sense. It's his cool hangout when it's hot right now. And he's got water and all he has to do is get up, walk around out of the North face, out of the, the, the heavy timber and walk hundred, 200 yards. And he's into the huckleberries and he's into all the other vegetation that he can munch on and literally underneath a pretty heavy canopy, but not, not so heavy that it doesn't grow, but a nice canopy of timber too, with enough sunlight in it that all the vegetation grows. So that's his, he's, he's really got it all. And I'm sneaking in, jumping in a tree. I got the wind. I feel like I have the wind as good as I can have it where I'm at. And I'm hunting there and I'm not going to move on him yet because he's showing me signs of weakness where I think if I can catch him on the right day and get up there to where he's at, uh, there's a great chance I might put an arrow in him this month.
1: So, all right, so I have a bunch of questions based on th- those things, but the one the one thing I wanted to talk a little more about, so these, the food that, you know, the food that they have everywhere, what other types of browse are they, is he feeding on essentially, like what kind of other food do you have there for him?
0: Well, what I see in the videos where he's at is obviously he loves the huckleberries and then they're eating all the leaves and browse off of like the ocean spray. Um, we've got, Cyanosis. Those are two of the favorites. Uh, I see them uh, literally eating the old man's beard anytime they can reach it, which is on all the Douglas fir trees. Mm-hmm. And then there's grass. And then, Bo, we got grass. There's grass on the ground, green grass. Yep. So you know, my back at my house, 150 miles from this deer. You know, I have lights on at night at my house, and I got all my pet deer around my house that, you know, the does and the little guys that hang out in my yard. Guess what they come to at night as soon as it's dark? Grass. Because they come to the green grass that we watered all summer. They, 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 I have 22 acres of fields and all kinds of food in it for them, and guess where they all want to eat as soon as it gets dark and they feel safe? <laughs> green grass. Oh, and, you, know, we don't, you know, I have apple trees and stuff at my home there's no mass crops up in the mountains like that. So uh, an apple tree in the mountains would be a gold
1: mine. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's one thing that, yeah, I focus on. So it's funny that you say that about the grass. So my, where I just, I bought a house in the spring and it's secluded. There's no houses around me, nothing in my yard. I have a mother and two fawns that have been here since they were born this, sp- this spring and they're here every day at all hours. And uh, they just, Eat my through my grass in my yard, and I have some. There's some clover that comes up naturally in my yard. and They'll eat that too, and and then I'll I'll watch them. They'll just go around the outside of my yard, just browsing on every little branch or eating ferns. They're eating, you know, anything green that's coming off. And that's so one of the I I did a a thing on Instagram the other day about I said what kind of questions do you know you want to learn about mountain bucks? So as I'm talking to people, I can ask them. And one of the things I even overlook, you know, talking about too, is the the food source thing, because, you know, what you're saying, even though like some of those bushes and plants aren't out here in the East, the same methodology can be applied because we have like, there's a lot of areas, you know, I I talk a lot about, you know, clear cuts and timber cuts. And someone asked, you know, what if you don't have oak trees and timber cuts? What are you, what are they, you know, feeding on? What are you focusing on? I'm like, they eat everything. You know, it's literally, you kind of got to figure out by when you're walking around what they're liking and and they're eating, and you just pay attention to those micro details. When I was scouting the other day, you know, I was noticing some of those things. There was this little patch of of woods that didn't, didn't have any timber in it, like this little overgrown field. It was very small, but whatever type of grasses, I don't know what kind they are, but you could tell the deer loved them. They were all stomp down and you can see where they're chewing on them and you know that's the kind of stuff you know you get i guess you pay attention to and the more experience you have in there um you you learn that kind of stuff and i think that's that's huge but what i was saying what i was going to say about the apple trees is right now that's so hot here in pennsylvania in the big woods the problem is there our season doesn't open up till october 5th this year and most of them will be gone by then the apples are dropping right right now and So it's, it's hard to, hard to focus on unless you find ones that, you know, stick around for, for quite a while, but no, your, your, your point of saying, you know, f- there's food everywhere and water everywhere. That's, that's one of the challenges with hunting mountain bucks, but it's something you kind of, you got to understand and pay attention a little bit more. It's not as you know prevalent as if you're hunting farm country and you see, you know, these crop fields or, or whatever else it might be that, that they have there.
0: Exactly. And I think. An important point to add to that, what we just talked about is you cannot get discouraged if you do not have a destination food source and you're not seeing the kind of deer you see rocking on TV to a destination food source. In the mountains, you've got to play their game and tap into what they like this time of the year. And to add to that, Bo, the thing I notice about these mountain bucks in August and September, they clean up every leaf of every type of brush and, you know, the little, anything with leaves on it that they can reach right now before those leaves get dry and before they fall. So on my videos, I'm watching my deer eat and they're just nibbling on all the little ends of like the, they'll eat the huckleberries, but they'll also eat the ends of the plant off of it itself and eat all the leaves. Yep. And I, and I'm seeing that with, they really hammer the ocean spray right now my our deer will literally eat every leaf every leaf hanging that they can reach off ocean spray Uh, oh they they, that's you know it's what they eat out here and then they got their nose on the on the ground picking up all the fresh little shoots of grass you know and they're just the motoring around like they auger around literally like little pigs and just eat just chomp 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 and You know, what I'm loving is that we've got I have cold weather finally for the next, after, after Friday, I start cooling way off. I get an unheard of amount of some Southeast winds and a little bit of East into my wind, which I actually need for this deer because of where I have to come in on him at, um, which I never get hardly in September. So, you know, if I don't screw it up, I think I have a shot if I can be up there on the day that he decides to be on his feet earlier. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. So and with... he's
0: not out my back door. He's not out my back door. <laughs> so I I can only get there. You can only do so many 300-mile round trips a day. He... Every other day. You know, every. I mean, <laughs> that starts.
1: That's incredible. I've got
0: family. I've got work. And I'm literally doing a 300-mile trip on this deer every time I hunt him.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely incredible. And, and, uh, you know, even makes me when I'm saying that I don't have, when I, you know, start making excuses for myself, not having time for things. Um, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's, that's absolutely incredible.
0: (laughs) It's just, you know, and I, I really try to quantify it and say, what else would I be doing? Well, you could go chase an elk in the hot evening, which isn't that conducive compared to hunting elk in the morning. Um, you could go home and work on something around the house. I made sure I got a lot done this summer, so I don't need to do that. Or, you know, Fridays are off limits cause Ty's got football games. So you won't see me hunting very many Friday evenings, <laughs> mm-hmm. but no, it's just, it's, 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 what I live for. It's, this is game time. This is, this is game time. This is the first quarter of the season. You know, I look at all my season is first quarter is September, second quarter is October third quarter is November, December is my fourth quarter. And that's how I lay it out for my season, just like I would when I was playing football 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. And, and so another thing that you well, actually, I wanted to mention, you said something, you know, when you're talking about your cameras on video. Um, So that's something I just started doing actually last year, I always just did three shot bursts on the photos. And I decided Um, when I got, uh, one of my Exodus trail cameras, I was able to, I was like, oh, I want to try out this video feature everyone talks about on there. And man, did I learn a lot. And I actually upped the time. I only had it at five seconds and I upped it to, to 10 seconds. Now I'd be interested to hear what you run yours at. But I, the, I was getting, you know, you can kind of see the, the mannerisms of the bucks. You can see kind of where they're coming from, what they're doing, when they're working the scrapes and and there's there's a specific buck that I'm trying to hunt this year that last year I had videos of him on a scrape in the middle of October heading back to where I think he was bedding at and he you know it was just was a it was just as it was get, getting light just first light just enough shooting light he was hitting this big community scrape as it was heading out towards this point and on the side hill and he's just took you know running his antlers through the branches and down and everything else but i I think i'll be interested to see how that this one spot works out this year because this buck was four and a half year olds last year and this year he's five and i've never seen for a pennsylvania mountain buck make a jump like this deer did like it was just it was it's pretty incredible so um i'm excited to to get to hunt that but what i was going to say from your cameras besides the video portion you talking about putting a windicator there, like something hanging to be able to see, I would never have thought of that. I am definitely going to steal that from you.
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'll, you know, but I'll send you a quick picture when we're done today of this big buck coming in and you'll notice all my scrape branches hanging down and then if you look close within all of my vertical hanging scrape branches that are all, literally, there's not a leaf on them anywhere, uh, you'll notice... What, what is called old man's beard out here, hanging where I hung it. I, I took it off of a Doug fir tree. It's about 12 inches long. I draped it over the licking branch up high, and it blows in the wind perfectly, even with the lightest thermals. So literally everything that walks in on my videos, I have a windicator showing me exactly what wind direction is blowing. And I run all my videos on 30 to 60 seconds. So oh. I'm gathering a I'm gathering a ton of information on these big deer. Uh when I get on a big one that I want to kill, it's thirty to sixty second video and I'm catching him like the difference in ten to fifteen second video and thirty to sixty is I literally I posted a picture today on my Instagram and it shows two young bucks watching walking watching my big buck come to the scrape. If you look at it right now you can see it. And he's coming in. Well, I have 60 seconds of video of him doing that. So the picture shows him coming in from the southeast. But if you have 60 seconds of video like I do, those little bucks are looking straight east for over 30 seconds before he gets there. And their heads, they're watching him come in the whole way. So that gives me all of that info on where he's truly coming in from instead of where he just open you know, where he pops into the, the frame, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. So those are the details I study, and I'll study the video before that and the video before that. And I actually have four 30-second videos of my two younger bucks, you know, and it's kind of like the man from Snowy River. You ever watch that? Or, or excuse me, Jeremiah Johnson. Remember when Jeremiah gets, do you watch that movie? Yeah, I've watched it. Remember when Jeremiah gets hurt real bad shot and he's laying on the ground, and he watches his horse. Mm-hmm. And his horse gives away the position of the of the uh, crow Indian coming in. Yep. So these young deer or any deer that are at my scrapes, I love it. Because when a big deer comes in, when the other deer are already there, they always give me a heads up even if I don't have him on video yet of what direction he's coming in from and where, he, where he's at. And it's usually two minutes ahead of time hmm. because he's big deer. This big deer works into this spot every time he, he takes his time coming into it. Yep. So anyway, all that to say that extended video personally for me has taught me more than thing about entrance exit of a buck the wind that he likes uh how he reacts and treats other deer uh i got him on video this is two nights ago i got him on video two nights ago he came in at an hour after daylight after you know hunting light but anyway he's in there he's mean he's ornery he's he's jumping up in the air with his front paws and running the young bucks out of the scrape because they're nearing and they're all they're doing is literally standing by him and he runs them. He runs them off. So I like seeing that because it tells me he is aggressive. It tells me he probably is the boss man on the mountain tells me that he's probably susceptible to some dominant stuff here real soon. And I'm hoping that the more my young bucks frequent this thing in the daylight, the higher chance I have in September of him rolling in just to let them young guys know that, Hey, I'm the king around here and don't forget it. And that's how he acts around these other deer on video.
1: He has a bully mentality.
0: Oh, he's a, he's a tough guy. Like he puts his ears back when he's 20 yards away from him. Really? He puts his ears back in the summer in full velvet.
1: That's, that's he incredible. He
0: doesn't, he doesn't roll in with anybody. He quit rolling in with velvet bucks about the first of August. He, he decided to, Totally in, in June and July, late June when I first picked him up, he had a buddy. And then he kind of kept that buddy a little bit through July. And then as soon as August hit, always comes in solo, runs every else everything else off. I mean, he's biologically, he's moving towards that hierarchy right now. And I'm liking what I'm seeing because now he's not just coming in and eating. Now he's coming in to check the scrape. Around in there, he's got there's food everywhere there where they're eating, and he's also coming in to kind of let everybody know. In my opinion, I'm hoping I'm right. It's what it looks like. He's coming in there to kind of tell everybody, hey, this is my big scrape, this is my huckleberry patch, this is mine. You know, this is what I like, and I'm fortunate. I got I got oodles of huckleberries left in there right now, which is kind of late for this time of or for this country. To
1: have that many huckleberries left mm-hmm. oh that's that's really cool to be able to, to see that and, and i think that's such a good point you made on the video there you know i was thinking i was making a big jump going five to ten seconds just to focus on you know a single deer coming through but by having that extra you know a, extra time there to be able to see how other deer are reacting and the mannerisms and where they're coming from i mean that's that's uh i think that's a really good tip that you had there are you are you running uh, pretty big SD cards in your cameras to be able to take all that video in?
0: Yep. I've got three top notch cameras on him right now. I've got, uh, two of them set on picture and one set on video shooting straight out through the scrape. And I'm running 32s and 64s in the, in the cameras, some cameras won't take a 64, Um, I think there's all 32s I switched out yesterday. I don't ever go lower than a 32 bow.
1: Ah, okay. I see. I I run eight and 16s in mine. I, I didn't even think of going even higher with that. That's, that's a, like I said, that's, that's a really good tip there. And when you say you're running three cameras on them, are you having three on that single scrape?
0: I've got a video, I've got a video camera and a picture camera on the same tree running right through the big scrape. Mm, And then I've got, and then I've got a camera kind of off to the side pointed in the direction that I feel like I'm getting him coming from the most just to pick up his travel. And I have a windicator on it too.
1: Do you, um, do you run any more? cameras uh you know around him different ways from where you think he's bedding think he's exiting any different directions or coming into his bed any different way or do you just are you focusing on that one big community scrape there
0: the reason i'm staying here bo is i have so much daylight of him and to get and this isn't farm country and i hope everybody understands this this is a mountain buck that has hundreds of thousands of acres to do what he wants in this deer for a for this scenario in the mountains is giving me more daylight for his caliber than any deer I've had since 03. And my big deer in 03, I got close enough to his bed. And here's what I'm getting at. Close enough in the woods, in the mountains. Um I'm close enough to him to get him every day on camera, at least at night, and literally. Not very far after dark. And uh, and the, the point I'm trying to make is, I'm so close, Bo, I won't move on him yet. I yeah. will not ruin this. And the reason I'm not going to ruin it is because it's September, what is it, 16th, 17th. It's September 17th. I have four months to hunt this buck. If I bail in on this deer in the mountains... Mountain deer are different than other deer. I don't care what anybody says. If they haven't hunted them, they don't get to have an opinion on them. These freaking mountain bucks because of wolves and lions and big gun pressure. And I've videoed it and I've documented it and I've kept track of it. will move a drainage. If they don't like something that really bothers them, they will not double back and stay in their same bed every day. If they get pushed hard, they just won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not forced to live in a small area. So, and I've had big bucks that I've screwed up on and tried to push hard early season to get in closer to. And I literally never seen them for a month, and I'd pick them up five miles away or three miles away. And they would stay. Listen to this I have it on camera on some of the biggest deer I've ever hunted that I screwed up on in the past. They would stay at a different location that whole season wow i don't want to do i don't want to do that to this deer Bo.
1: no i don't i don't right blame in, you at all how how far away do you think right, you are from where he's betting
0: I'll i would put money on it that i'm within 400 yards and i bet i'm more like 250 to 300 max
1: okay yeah you're close
0: <laughs> Bo. i'm close on these mountain bucks that's nothing to walk 200 yards no not yards.
1: no not at all <laughs>
0: Well, I'm literally, if I can, for your listeners, describe it. Think of a great big long ridge that runs west, uh, south, excuse me, northwest to southeast. He's tucked around into the north side of that ridge. He's coming 90% of his travel on video, daylight or morning or, or daylight in the afternoon. So three different scenarios, daylight, morning, daylight, midday, daylight, evening, uh, let's go five scenarios: daylight, close to dusk, dark, right after dusk, midnight, and then early in the morning. Not, over ninety percent of my data on him shows him going to the same north, coming from or going to, entering or exiting from that north. It all makes sense. That north, ten or fifteen degrees cooler. He's got water over there. He walks a hundred yards and he's in the he's in the lush vegetation and can eat huckleberries for miles. He can eat. Browse for miles. He can chew on ocean spray all over. He can eat cyanosis. You know, and he's in there with the moose too, and the moose loves cyanosis. Red stem cyanosis, their favorites. Anyway, this scrape gives me that extra added uh, factor right now in September to where all the other deer are using the scrape. They're really using it. He's just monitoring it. He's funny. He walks through it every time, puts his feet in it walks through it 95% of the time, not every time, but 95. He drops his head on video, gives it a little scent check. I swear he's waiting for something to start urinating in it, but he checks it. He'll get on the licking branch a little right now, but not as much. He scent checks it. He walks on by. He walks on through, and he does it over and over. So I'm really right there with him, and I've been at this game long enough with these mountain deer. I don't need to go for broke yet on him. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Now, now I did move my stand a while back, 20 yards away. To And I sit in a tree stand, and for hours I toss out my little milkweed on purpose. So I did make an adjustment and moved on him 20 yards because I put myself in probably the best wind spot I can where he's going to come in where he normally does with the perfect wind for him. And I literally, man, I got it to where I'm missing him probably by 30 yards on the wind. And that's my, and and Bowie's, I think if I kill him, it's going to be evening uh, or about 10 or 11 o'clock based on all the trail camera evidence. It's kind of his thing.
1: So, uh, the question to have with that is when where your setup is compared to where you think he's betting, are you on is he coming up over the top? Is he coming around a side hill? Are you below him a little bit? What does that kind of look like?
0: It's pretty cool. I'm above him. He's actually moving uphill to me, but he's here's what he's doing. He's based on I, I mean I can see him on video. I can watch the deer watch him. I, I've walked the trails a little bit in the middle of the day after a rain one day early on i mean i've done and i know the trails because i walked the hell out of them this summer all that to say he is in a north working his way uphill and bending in an arc towards me using an evening thermal or a morning thermal going downhill i can sit in there all day with the uphill thermal and as long as the wind isn't pushing over into that north face which would be That wind would have to come strictly out of the straight south, and I'm not getting any of those winds right now. I'm getting a lot of southwest, uh, southeast. I'm even getting some northwest winds right now. It's kind of been weird out here this year with the winds. The only wind I don't like right now is a strictly uh, straight south with a hint of west to it blowing towards that north or northeast because that's where he's tucked back in there Mm -hmm. but here's what else i got going for me i'm up on the highest part of the ridge that he's working his way up to around or he's coming out of the north up over a higher ridge and coming up onto this big bench flat i'm on and my my scent even if it blows towards the north some he'd have to be right up on the lip of that north up on the flat top to get my scent because it is a straight drop off into that north for like a thousand feet down in there. Not straight, but it's steep. I mean it is it goes way down into a bottom. Mm-hmm. And he's just camping out back in that north based on all of his travel evidence. Okay, He only has to walk he probably only has to walk a hundred yards to eat really well.
1: All right. That, that makes sense. I've, I'm, I'm, as you're talking through this whole thing, I'm visualizing this in my head. So that's why I was, I was asking, kind of figuring out how, how this buck is working. And, and do you find that, you know, similar to other bucks that you've hunted or is everyone a little bit different? Like with the scenarios, I mean, and I mean, cause it sounds like for this one you had, okay, you know, that you had the food around there, Then you have that that northeastern slope, that northern that you know side hill that's you know dark timber, you know thick. It's got the water and everything else. So that's where you think he's bedding. And then the community scrape up there. You got the the majority of the food that they're probably browsing on up there. So do you think that's kind of situational? um, The reason why he's doing that, and then in combination with the wind, or um, you know, I kind of loaded that question there. But is this is this kind of typical?
0: yeah i mean yeah he's you know and and let's back way up to the start of your question is it is it always is it you know every deer is different this is how he likes to survive day to day in there um the does that come in all the time and are all around me and five feet from me 10 feet from my tree and i haven't spooked it i have not spooked a deer in there and i have deer moose bear in there almost every set i've only had one set where i didn't have an animal um haven't spooked anything. I got the wind dialed. They're coming from the west. They're coming from the north. They're coming from his trail in. They're coming from all directions. He is very strategic in where he's set up and what he's doing to move because it's like consistent. He's got his he's got his pattern down right now for September that he really likes. Um, I rarely get a get a buck to come up to me uphill like that as much as he does on in the evenings, because a lot of deer just tend to like to move downhill in the evenings, you know, towards dark and go downhill for some reason in the elevation in this country. Um, I think he does it obviously, because he likes that downhill thermal Mm -hmm. that he can J hook in underneath this scrape. And he just literally, he has never walked into this scrape yet on video without the wind in his nose, not once. Even in the even in June and July. Hmm. The wind on my indicator always is blowing in his face or at least quartering to his nose. And even in the middle of summer, Bo, when he's just eating, he eats in a direction that has the wind at least quartering at him. I haven't seen him walk with the wind rolling over his butt yet.
1: Hmm. And, th- and that makes sense why... You know, you're seeing him not even from the standpoint of waiting till close to dark to move, but the reason why he's coming up there is because waiting for those thermals to switch, so he has it in his favor as he's coming up over that top. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah, I don't think I'll see him last two hours. uh, Based on the prevailing wind, can be different, so that'll dictate it. But if we're just talking strictly thermals, dictating which way the wind's blowing, which. A lot of days at this spot, the wind doesn't blow very hard. So a lot of times the thermals are the dictator. So with him, what I've noticed is when he has the thermal in his favor, that's where I see him enter from and, and, you know, come in there in the daylight. That's what he's doing. Okay. That morning, that morning thermal, because I'm close to a North bow, that morning thermal blows downhill a long time because I'm not in a South. I'm sitting in a Northeast face. Or a northeast bench, and he's in the north.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing that I think is so important that you said there too is thermals aren't the same everywhere. You know, there's no. there's places that you know that that I've hunted in in the, the Appalachian mountains here that you will have downhill thermals all the way to almost noon. You know, depending. And that's
0: why I yeah, Bo. That's why I get that guy to come up through there in the daylight on video he'll come uphill to that scrape almost till 11 o'clock. And that's exactly why is because I'm bent around into a Northeast face on top of a bench.
1: Yeah. And and that's like I said, I think that's such a good point because sometimes I I feel like people can oversimplify thermals that, Oh, and you know, right before dark or early in the mornings are blowing down. The sun comes up and they switch up and that's not depending on, you know, the way that the, like, the hills sloped and everything. That all depends on that. Like you said, a south would could be completely different. And that's yeah, getting you know, to know that area and learn it. And I'm sure, like those the wind indicators, you have help. You walking in there and in, uh, in May, all that stuff. I'm sure helps. Plus, just your years of experience with it.
0: Yeah, and Bo, the the video with the wind indicators just confirms the hell out of it. You know, when you watch it on video, you can't. Film never lies. It just doesn't lie, and he's he's. If he knew I was around, Bo, this is my opinion. If he knew I was in there hunting him, I've never had a big buck like him that's careful as he is, stay around as much as he does, and hang out there. If he thought I was on him, I've just never seen him do it. There, usually, what happens if you screw it up? I don't see him for a week, you know, for a week, mm-hmm. and they move. They just they'll just move a ways away, and they'll, or or they'll avoid that 300 yard circle up there you know if you put it on a map and drew a 300 yard circle around it they'll just avoid you and that's what they do and and the reason i know that is because i've ran multiple cameras on scrapes that are maybe three four hundred yards away 200 yards away and that's what they do they just show up where they feel safe and they don't pick you up well i've been going to the nth degree i mean i'm hanging my hunting clothes in a tree at my work all day, parked where my pickup parks. I'm literally throwing them in a clean garbage bag when I jump in my truck, drive up there, take those clothes out. They've never even, they've been hanging outside all day. I get in them, spraying down uh, with my buck fever, synthetic vanishing hunter, getting as clean as I can just to minimize my scent cone. Again, I'm not 100% scent free, I get that. But I'm not leaving much and I'm definitely not giving extra and the cool thing about it is I get to walk into him downhill. It's a long ways, but it's downhill. So I'm really not working up a big sweat at all when I go to hunt him, which is nice. Uh, and he's kind of just jay hooking up into there consistently, into that area. And he's, he's not very far away, bow, where I wouldn't be getting him the times of day I'm getting him. Not for a mountain bug.
1: So the, yeah, that was, you just, you answered my next question about your entrance. Cause I know a lot of times you like to come in from the bottoms in the mornings cause the thermals coming down, but where you're hunting him in the evenings there, that's, it's different.
0: Yeah. I get in there. I get in there bow before the thermal switches. Mm-hmm. So it's blowing right in my face on the walk in, which is just awesome. And that's why, you know, I'll, I'll shoot straight with you. You have a screwed up tree stand. You're going to blow the does out. You're going to blow the young bucks out too. So eventually an old doe is going to catch you. I've got an old doe in there that's ancient. She don't even have a fawn, and she don't look like she could have a fawn. And she walks in sneezing, coughing, acting like she's going to die, and literally <laughs> as skittish as she'll get.
1: Surprise, COVID.
0: <laughs> like, seriously, she might be the COVID doe. I think she is the COVID doe. <laughs> anyway, she is a crackhead, like literally a crackhead when she walks in. And I'm thinking the first time I had her roll in, I'd seen her all summer on camera. And the first time I hunted it, first deer in. And this doe takes three steps at a time and sneezes and coughs and grunts and snorts and not snort, not buck snort or doe snort, but like kind of clears her throat. So I know every deer in the country out there is used to listening to her. (laughs) And she's so careful. She has been within five feet of my tree stand right under me, walking by me, feeding eating on brows, uh, hits the scrape every time she comes in or at least walks through it. So I feel pretty good about all that. And to walk down in there in the evenings, it's nice because I can get there before the thermal switches. And I do, I get there before the thermal switches, I get in my stand and when the thermal switches, um, it's, it's perfect or pretty dang close to as about as good as I can get. Because a lot of times I get a little bit of a southwest wind combined with it, and the downhill thermal is literally kicking off of my face and back behind my tree in the direction I walk down in, which is just money for me because it'll miss that deer by 30 or 40 yards. Yeah. And I don't think he'd walk in there about 21 minutes after me if he thought I was there. No, really not,
1: no, not even close. Does, so. Did, uh, w- your stand set up in relation to the scrape, are you? Uh, and you're talking. You said you're kind of like on a flat um, bench. Are you above Big him? Or- I'm above
0: him. I, yeah, I love the high ground. I always try to get higher elevation ground than my scrapes. Okay. So yes, I drop down to my tree stand. The scrape is a lower elevation than my tree stand by probably three feet, two feet. You know, which looks like a lot from a tree. Cause it is going downhill. The bench is pretty flat, but it's, it's steeper than the picture show. Uh, but it's not steep. If that makes any sense, there is some contour. There. Uh, water runs downhill towards it. So yeah, I'm crawling up in that stand and I'm Northeast. I always try to get somewhat East, some type of East of most of my stands because of the majority of our prevailing winds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happens in there, it's really interesting. If I get any type of southwest wind, southwest is the perfect bend. Uh, what I can't really get is, a, is that west, straight west wind would be, I'd probably stay out of there or northwest wind. I'd probably have to be real careful because, excuse me, west, northwest. It'd have to be mostly west a straight west wind might would be my enemy in there based on where he's coming from okay but if i get if i get any south added into the west i'm I'm okay and anything out of the east is blowing over his head towards me so i'm really money there and i got a bunch of east winds coming up
1: gotcha yeah i i'm like i said i'm picturing this in my head and i think i'm kind of painting a better picture as you're adding these details in and and yeah i think that that placement is just is so killer especially for you hunting that same spot over and over again and not blowing anything out that's really saying something
0: i have not had an animal even look at me funny uh that first move i did with that tree stand did help a little bit now if i don't get him killed early season and i have to hunt him in november And I get a bunch of north winds, I'm probably going to have to move that stand about 30 yards on that same scrape. And again, Bo, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not walking out the back door hunting the local farm, hunting it a bunch. We're talking that long trip. I probably max have hunted him. Let me think. One, two, three, four. I think I've got to hunt him five or six times. Five times. Five total. Okay. Five total in 17 days.
1: Yeah. So it's not that much as far as, as being in there, but still that could, you know, if you would screw something up there, that could be um, worse. So is your, do you ever, like when you go to check your camera, do you have to walk, you know, across the scrape or is it uh, on the side of your stand or how does that look like?
0: All my cameras are always positioned closer to my tree stand and focused out on him and never crossing. Gotcha. So my cameras are, I'm 20 yards, 22 from the scrape. My camera's set back a ways on purpose. They're on the same tree. Two of the three are on the same tree. The other one's off to my uh, west, just to catch travel, to see how he's exiting and entering, and uh, and pointed way back towards the uh, the southeast where he likes to come up through. He comes out of that north, and Jay hooks down, and then kind of bends into the Southeast and then he comes up to the scrape with that downhill thermal.
1: Uh, Ah, okay.
0: Does that make sense now coming out of the North working across? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So those cameras are all positioned to where I can get to my stand and my, and my favorite way to do it is to not do it at dark. So what I do as soon as I get to my stand, because the cameras are close to me and not in his path of travel, pull the cards real quick, swap them out get in the tree. That's my deal. That's what I do when I get in there early. And I have an uphill thermal or I'll have a, or I'll have a at that spot I'll have a some type of wind like a southwest or something blowing basically back towards the northeast direction I came in. I'm literally kind of paralleling him but two or three hundred yards away from the big giant canyon that I think he's laying up in and coming up out of. So I'm literally just up above him coming down the ridge, getting in my stand. He's down over the edge and down in there somewhere, hanging out and coming up out below me and working his way up to me, uphill towards me.
1: Okay. Yeah, that, that, that definitely makes sense. And that's, that's so an up, cool. That... An,
0: uphill, an uphill thermal's perfect for that walking in there.
1: Yeah. And so like, let me, th- let me try to think of something here. it, and so in other situations, you know, depending on, say, you weren't hunting this buck, a, a different buck, a lot of times you're coming in from the bottoms that you've, I remember you've said in the, in the past.
0: If I come in from the bottom in the mornings, bow a lot because of the, uh, downhill thermal yep. and work my way up to the stand. Or, uh, the truth is I come in from the bottom, but way over to the side. And then once I get on the elevation of my stand, I cut straight across the side hill. That's how I hunt morning hunts. And Mm. I come in from a, I come in from the side that's opposite of where I have most of the deer traveling up to my scrapes in the morning. Yep. So I, I come in from the side, I get in there, I get in there and I'm set off to the side. They're rolling up through there in the morning bow with a downhill thermal in their face. And I'm just far enough off to the side bow. And I came in, basically I call it the back door. I come in from the back door off to the side in the mornings, crawl on a stand, let them come up to me. They think they're safe. They've got a downhill thermal. But I come in from the opposite like side of the – I mean, there's been times, Bo, where I've killed my biggest bucks. I come in from the other side of the mountain.
1: Uh, okay, yeah, you're, you're definitely not um, – you're not cutting any corners when it comes to entry. And no. Exit.
0: <laughs> no, and if, I don't know if I'm clear enough describing that But I, the rules for me are never crossing, never walk in where your wind's going to blow to where he's bedded because I'm, I'm basically hunting this bucks right on the edge, the fringe of his bedding area.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm literally hunting him where he's comfortable getting up and moving. He was, you know, Bo, he gets up when he's in there at 11 o'clock and, and three and two, he's not very far away from me when he does decide to do the midday stuff.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: In my opinion, the reason why he's laid up so much is hunting season open. It was over 90 degrees. We got smoke everywhere. It's hotter than hell out. And if I'm an old buck, that's five years old. Why am I going to get up on a 90 degree day when I can go get up at in the evening, when it cools down, have an evening thermal in my nose and go up and eat.
1: Yeah, no, That I, th- I think you, I think you said that pretty clear as far as how that's, yeah. that's going and, 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 you know, if I'm understanding it correctly, you know, this is, again, every stand that you have, say, even if you were hunting a different buck in years past or whatever, it's all situational. And you're looking at all of that on maps and everything else ahead of time to be able to figure out, you know, what the best route for that is, depending on the situation. A lot of, a lot of thinking and planning that goes into it.
0: Exactly. You cannot use a cookie cutter method on the mountain. Because every buck's personality, every buck's tendencies, every ridge is different. Every slope is a little different where you want to set up on them and try to manipulate and kill them or you find those big scrapes like I do. Uh, Everything is different. Yes, it's all situational. So you can't just put a cookie cutter answer out there and say, yeah, this is going to work. Well, guess what? It ain't going to freaking work if I'm sitting on a south face. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to work.
1: Yeah. that d- d- another point there that that you just said and i've talked about this also with some other you know consistently successful guys you know and it makes it it's it's difficult and in, in my job is as i'm asking you questions but i understand it is the fact that like you can't you know people want these straightforward answers on these things like oh you do this and this is what happens and that's not the case in the mountains like there's you literally have to pay attention to each specific situation and use these rules of thumb to kind of make your own judgment with it. Is that, does that sound right?
0: Yeah. Yes. And you know, what's interesting about these mountains Bo, and I, I'm, I've never been to the Appalachians, but I'm sure there's a lot of feed out there is my guess. Mm -hmm. I, I literally, when I walk, when I leave my truck and I walk about a mile to get to this deer I literally have my own path that I have memorized in there. Through blowdowns, I stay on this high point of this ridge because it's so thick; nothing can see me unless it's 20 yards from me, Bo. And I walk down through this spot, and this is no joke. The entire ridge, 100 yards each side of it. It's a big, long, flat ridge on top for a long ways. Um, it's literally a food plot for a mile. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So to pinpoint a big buck in a, in a, in a situation like that, and then he's got a Canyon that runs three to five miles. That's literally probably 10,000 acres easy just to hide out in. That goes around into a big North and runs forever to the North. I mean, to pinpoint these big deer where they just have, food endless food everywhere again that's why i'm tied into those community scrapes even in the summer
1: do you do you pay attention or do they in in idaho and and washington and stuff where you're hunting some of these deer do they leave much sign as far as rubs go
0: oh yeah he's this is what's awesome when i walked in there in may I got down into this spot that I picked on a map ahead of time, got down there with my head. I had Hank with me, my antler dog, and we're looking for this about sheds. And when I got down in there, this is no joke, I was 50 yards from where my tree stand is right now, and I hadn't found the scrape yet. I got in there into this dark little patch of timber that didn't have any vegetation in it for about 30-yard circle. And boom, 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 three great big rubs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Ooh, that looks like gnarly. I call I call this buck gnarly. I said, Ooh, that looks like gnarly might be doing that. Cause it was some torn up stuff and he's got some cool stuff on his bases. Anyway, I walk another 50 and boom, there's that scrape.
1: That, you know? Yeah. And,
0: it's, and I'm just like, I, and then I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is awesome. This is where he was. And then I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I was up the ridge further last year. Didn't get what I wanted consistent enough. Already wanted to move at him in May, get set up on him somewhere different, either build a scrape or find something. And when I found that scrape, I about freaking hit my knees and started, you know, I was freaking pumped. I was like, (laughs) I told my my dog, I told my dog, I said, Hank, I said, here's a gold mine. You know, I'm talking to my dog. I said, and I videoed it. I was like, holy shit, this is the real deal. And then in June, when he shows up on it, it's just awesome.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and, you know, when you find those types of scrapes and when things come together, it's like all the stars align, the sun's coming through the clouds. Uh, it's a, it's a good feeling.
0: (laughs) Well, and the thing is, Bo, I thought it should be there, you know, based on what he showed me last year in his, in his repertoire of what he was doing on camera. And I just ran cameras on him last year. Only, like I said, only sit on him a couple of days early season, and kind of just said leave him alone. I hunted a different buck. You know, I was hunting that big typical. By the way, that big typical, I haven't seen him since. I, I think something killed him. Oh, but we'll see.
1: I was going to ask you yeah. about that buck.
0: Yep, and of course I'm checking on him every three weeks or a month at a time. Right now, now that it's season, I'm checking on him any chance I can. Which where he's at's at, a long ways away from this deer, but it's <laughs> at least. It's one of those things, Bo. Where I'm at least checking on him once or twice a month to see if he shows up, and I had no sign of him at all.
1: Yeah. How? So you know, you're fine. You, I know you, we've talked about this a little in the past, but you know how? I know you're you're traveling wherever to find the the biggest deer. Like how how did you just find this spot that like that was that far away from home that like got your attention to want to want to go there? Just to step back a little bit to kind of bring this full circle.
0: So for me, it's, it's a combination of years of doing it with my feet on the ground and never having maps other than the old topo maps, which I've used for decades. And now it's, now it's just give me a map. Let me look at the satellite and the map, the topo. Let me look at a topo. Let me look at the satellite imagery of it. I look at the elevation and I literally just go through and dissect miles and miles and miles and miles of mountains. And I get in my sweet zone with the elevation that I like uh, based on the ability for a big buck to get old. I look at all the the roads that are in the area. I find those ridges that most guys probably don't want to do the work to get in and get out on and really put some time into a big deer. And I mark these X's on maps and then I go walk into them in the spring bow. And and I usually almost always find what I want to find. Uh, usually an old mature buck is living there for a reason based on all the factors that I plug into the equation. And a lot of it has to do with maps. Maps and really understanding and knowing what kind of habitat and hideouts and these big north faces and water. I mean, just all the basic biology of a deer that I really understand in the mountains. and And I can just put an X on a map and almost always find it.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's, I, I I was wondering that, I mean, I know we t- talked about it back in the spring when we did the shed hunting scouting podcast there, but just, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me how you do that. And, and I think that's a, that's, it's pretty incredible to, to be able to do that. And, and again, that for, you know, some of the people that are new to hunting mountain deer, whether it's in Appalachia or in, in the West, like this stuff doesn't just don't get frustrated. This stuff doesn't just come to you oh. overnight. You know, Troy, you're a perfect yeah. example of that.
0: Well, you can't get frustrated and it's not magic. You know, there's, experience is huge. Putting, I used to put, I used to mark it on a calendar and before I was married, before I was 30, I was 250 to 300 partial days a year in the woods. So as soon as work got out, I made myself make sure I at least was two or three hours, four hours in the woods in the early season, always all summer as a teacher off in the woods. Uh, so yeah, I've been fortunate to have a lifestyle on purpose that gave me some time to just literally go walk for days. Spring shed hunting, hunt literally walk daylight till dark. It's amazing what you find in the spring, just shed hunting as far as learning the terrain. If you go walk 12 hours a day in the spring and do that 20 times, you cover some serious fricking miles in the mountains and stuff, stuff pops up for you from sheds to old sign to, and the cool thing about the whole community scrape thing is those get reused every year, you know, and the, the sign in the giant mountains reads a little different than in small farm country because farm country animals get bumped around, uh, crops change. They, they, they literally roll around to the right feed and they get bumped sometimes because it's small woodlots. And to me, a 500 acre woodlots small to me. But in the mountains, there's some really cool areas that, yeah, the elk hunters roll through and, yeah, some guys might whitetail hunt it. But there's some really cool areas in the mountain because the, the mountains are so vast that you can see decades of trained deer travel where the does train their young and the young learn it. And then all the bucks learn where the scrapes are and they use the elevation and the thermals to make it day to day from the predators. And it just turns into a network of this unbelievable map of where these animals do like to be based on survival. And and wind is huge. The wind is huge for them on where they camp, where they, where they hide out, where they survive in the mountains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really, really, really good point you had there. And I, I think there's just so many similarities between the the West and the East here. I hope that someday you, uh, you decide you want to come out to Pennsylvania and hunt with me. Cause I'd love to let, you know, see you work your magic out here and, and get to experience this. And, and I'm still, as I told you last year, you know, I'm I, in the next few years, I will hunt. Idaho and for whitetails, And I just, I just love, love the similarities between the two and, and just kind of, you know, that far away all the way across the country. And these just mountain deer are just different animals.
0: And they have to be different to, to make it, to stay alive. You know, and and the truth is the the farm country deer, the river bottom deer, all of them, they do what they got to do within their habitat to stay alive. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you try to play the same ball game and a cookie cutter ball game on all animals and you're hunting vastly different habitats and vastly different terrain and vastly different elevations and vastly different predators, you're kind of missing out. So, you know, for me, it's always been fun to go to the Midwest uh, to hunt other places and, hey, I play the game that they're playing when I get there you know, and, and I listen big time to the guys that are experts at that game in those habitats. I really pay attention to what they're saying. The cool thing I have learned though, is there's some absolutes with whitetails. There's a few whitetails live by their nose and whitetails like to be social and whitetails like to eat and whitetails like to procreate. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> break, break it down, you know, and I, I and I tell you, I push these mountain bucks as tight as I can to their beds. I do. I'm, a, I'm pushing it as hard as I feel like I can based on my past, the successes that I've had, the, the failures that I've had. The failures have taught me more than anything. Um, I push it as hard as I can to their beds. This time of the year, that big deer I'm hunting, man, he's, he's on full alert. He has zero distractions. He's not chasing girls yet. I'm just hoping and praying right now in the last part of this September that he'll start to get that level of testosterone up and up. And I saw it on the video camera the the other night for the first time where he jumped up in the air and put his front hooves out and tried to hit this little buck and run him off. I like that (laughs) because I'm like right on because what that equates to me is he might start checking that scrape a little earlier and walking through there and maybe checking these other deer that are literally hammering this scrape every day
1: yeah and so troy you kind of you kind of alluded to this but for the most part are you um are you hunting the the same way you know throughout the season like say throughout october and does that kind of change a little bit in november or what or does that you know all- Dependent. I mean, I know it's all dependent, but for the most part, are you hunting, you know, similar? You're hunting close to the beds, hunting those community scrapes. Is that kind of staying similar throughout the, the season?
0: Yeah, because if I break it all down, and I think most of the guys that are really the killers would agree with this part. Deer, it's it's food, water, sex, and social life. I think social life gets left out, not just the whole, pro, you know, breeding part. So I think one thing I really dive into is the social life of whitetails with the straight. But that, that aside, right now, the predominant movement is bed to food, bed to water. And check a licking branch, you know. And, and kind of, they're really, you know, they're really starting to kind of keep tabs on who's around, is what I'm seeing on all my cameras. Now, I've got some four and a half year old bucks right now and man, they're killable. They are checking these scrapes like you wouldn't believe. But those are those twenty-five-year-oldish type deer in in a human terms to where these dudes are I mean, they're freaking buff and studs and man, they're looking for ladies. I mean, and they're not chasing or anything like that, but they kind of want to dominate what I'm seeing at my other spots where this deer isn't. They're wanting to dominate with like, I got three, four year olds at one stand and it's at a big scrape. Huh. The more those bucks, the more those bucks bow check that licking branch, they just, they just start playing off each other and showing up more in the daylight right now that I wish I had a four, I wish I had a four or another five year old here with this buck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've got a three year old and then a bunch of young ones. I wish I had one more step up of the buck here to kind of be in and kind of showing a little dominance. Cause the thing about this buck I'm hunting right now, and I think this is important to note, he's so easily the top dog in there that he's pretty laid back right now. Overall.
1: He doesn't need to be cause he's, he already knows yeah. he's dominant and no one's challenging him
0: right now. I have zero challengers to even look at him cross-eyed and I see that in the video. <laughs> <laughs> they see that. They see that, that. That three-year-old sees him coming and backed out twenty yards away from the scrape when he walks up by
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, he just does that. And the three-year-old ain't, hasn't been in there much either. But the hap, I, I think the three-year-old's kind of moving away because this guy likes this spot. This old, this big buck. Yeah. Uh, I, so what I got right now is what I got right now is those little bucks, bunch of little bucks, kind of just not knowing what's going on. And then the big guy who rolls in and everything just scatters.
1: Yeah, oh, that's that's awesome. But yeah, I, I get anyway. what, I get what you're saying about you know if they had if he had another challenger that might help get him being a little more aggressive and making him want to kind of run them you know another challenger off maybe a little more daylight or active just, earlier.
0: May, maybe just get him to think I'll get up a little earlier today to go see what's up because there's a reason. Yeah. Uh, again, though, Bo, I, I, it's back to Betty bedding is so huge if you don't know where a buck's bedding or at least know within a real close range of where he's bedding i think you're lost in the mountains early this stuff's tough if you don't know where he's bedding and do i walk in and see where he's laying down i don't need to because out here these big deer will go lay down in an area they won't always lay in the same bed every day and the reason i can say i know that is i've been in these older deer in the past Uh, where there was clear cuts and where i could glass them when i was doing this stuff back before trail cameras and they would bed in an area day to day and i could glass them and see them in a overgrown clear cut go into like one night one afternoon right before dark day or excuse me one morning not night one morning they'd go into the the north corner of it and go up and it you know looked like they're headed into bed over in that area and then the next day they'd be all the way over on the other side of the clear cut going up into there and i you know, it's pretty obvious they're probably bedding over there a little bit. So I don't ever really feel like they lay in the same exact bed every day. I really feel like these mountain deer make campsites. I call them campsites or hideouts. And wherever the good feed is, and wherever the good water is, outside of the scraping and rut phase and the breeding and chasing and all that, they pretty much just kind of camp out, big nomads. And I'm, I'm with this guy right now on his September slash maybe early October hangout is kind of what I'm doing right now and playing that. The cool thing is I had him last year in this general area in November and December too. So I feel pretty good about where I'm staged right now. We'll kind of see how I want to see how this plays out into October. I mean, obviously I want to kill him yeah. right now, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but it will be interesting to see what happens if I don't get him killed till later. It'll be interesting to see if I nailed it on his community scrape. To me, I think I did because he walks through the scrape every time he comes in, Bo, but maybe 5% of the time he does it. Mm-hmm. He walks through it, puts his nose down, checks it, lifts his head up, checks it, walks on through. He does it like clockwork through the. He puts his feet in the scrape every time, and it's a great big double, huge double scrape.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think, I think all those points that you mentioned there are just, are so critical in learning that deer. And I think, I don't know, I, I envy that with you and, and learning so much of like how you just completely dissect these bucks that you hunt and learn so much about them and, and what they, what they like to do and focus on these micro details. And, and, and it's obvious from your past success. It's why I, I can't see this buck living through September, <laughs>
0: I hope that's the case, Bo. And I will say this and I'm putting it out there. I, I am a, you know, I, I'm a God fearing Christian man that truthfully believes too. There's a higher power involved in some things. Mm -hmm. And I, this may, this is important to me in my legacy as a deer hunter. It's not all me. There's bigger things going on out there than my, What I, you know, I just do everything I can in my power to do, to put myself in the best odds and get, have the best game plan I can. But man, there's a lot going on out there. And just as far as, you know, sometimes when you're living right and really working hard at things in life, good things happen.
1: I I do believe that. I totally agree with that. You put in all the odds in your favor and, and you know, when sometimes good things happen to good people. When it comes down to it.
0: And, and, I'm, and I'm not, I'm definitely, you know, I'm just saying that because I think we get so caught up in deer sometimes and elk and bucks and bulls and cat, or bears and everything we do. You know what? A lot of what we're doing on this planet, I give a lot of credit to the man above just because there's been times where I'll just turn around and pinch myself and say, you know, it's almost like a set of that extra voice inside of me told me where I needed to be. And I just listened to it. You know, uh, I truly believe that there's that sixth sense, that extra voice, whatever you want to call it, that I really try to tune into. And I, and I try to get really close to that when I'm in the woods, every time I'm out there, that's important to me. And I, I feel like I don't want to toot my horn and say, I, you know, it isn't all me. It's, it's just some instinct. It's some, It's, it's listening to that voice that I hear. And boy, there's times where like when, when I got to this, where this spot is this year in May, I was literally just really, I don't think I would have heard a bomb go off when I was scouting out there. You know what I mean? And it was May and I just so badly wanted to find this deer. Didn't even know if he was still alive, but for three days, I think bombs could have went off around me when I was up there doing that mission and boom, found what I liked. Got him where I want him. Is it perfect right now or he'd already be dead? But I'm also playing his game and what's going on with summer conditions still.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I, I like that that mentality there. and, And just and yeah, you can you can see it, as I said, you know, earlier when, you know, as you're talking about, you know, as you're talking about like just the, the whole picture of it and being greater than just the, the deer aspect of it. And that's what I was saying earlier. Of just people that would, that w- look at your stuff and see your stuff can see that. Like, it's very obvious when you're having fun out in the woods and two, you're grateful for those experiences and everything else that you're doing there. And it's just, it, I, I think, you know, if anybody that's, that's wanting to, you know, up their game with it, or just enjoying, you know, hunting mountain bucks or whatever it is. Not even just them in general. I think they can learn a lot from from that. And I don't think you're tooting your own horn at all by by what you're saying. I think that's very, very good information and and good ways to reflect on it.
0: I think mountain buck hunters have to have a different mindset. Meaning, you may not get as much instant gratification as you think you're going to get based on different hunting scenarios of whitetails you're I'm literally hunting it's funny though I've ran cameras in there since May guess how many deer have ever been on that camera since May guess how many deer total
1: I have no idea seven seven that's it
0: seven seven different deer counting the fawns
1: wow that's yeah <laughs>
0: And one of the fawns is a buck. That's. I got two. I got two does in there. I got eight bears. I got five moose. <laughs> eight different bears, both.
1: Oh my! Uh, and I
0: got a. I got a big ass mountain lion that lives in there too.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the, those are some uh, d- the the mountain lion aspect and everything. That's a little bit different than we got out here. <laughs>
0: And it's just, it, it like I said, it just amazes me that those deer survive that lion that rolls through about once a month on camera. Um, it just amazes me they make it to five, six years old. Some of them do. Yeah. They, you know, they, I was so stoked. The, I was so stoked the other day. I saw calf moose. You know, I don't see many calf moose anymore. I just don't. It made me happy to see a mom and her calf walk right by me at my tree stand. But all that to say, the the whole point is is, is with these mountain deer, and with spread out deer and numbers, you just really have to stay the course and understand that your your uh, your wins you're win you're winning when you have when you when you have the buck that like you want to go hunt that big deer you're talking about that made a huge jump. Mm-hmm. You are in the game if you have him daily, even if it's at night a lot. On camera, because the closer we get to heavier social stuff with scrapes and rutting, the more daylight you're going to see, you know, it's, it's not easy to, it's not easy to kill a big mountain buck in September. It, it, it's not because they're not walking to a destination food source.
1: Yeah. That's where, that's where, I mean, I, I've always, you know, struggled with that in the past. I know a lot of people have with the the earlier season type stuff and, and yeah, I I think that's, that's a, you know, good point to note. Like, you know, you're, you're talking at these things with confidence and that's from learning it and experiencing it. Like that's, this is no easy game whatsoever, even for someone like yourself, that's, you know, been doing it for so long. Like that's, these, these deer are different. And when you don't have those destination food sources, it, it takes those, you know, the multiple long ass trips that you've made out there, you know, in May and walking all those miles with your dog, like all those things combine to where you're at right now with it.
0: And, and a little bit of ex, you know, just a little bit of blessing from above that that's exactly where that sucker is hanging out. Yep. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually really stoked that he has a lot of big bucks in the mountains will take off on you as soon as they go hard horn and they'll relocate into a different area. So I feel pretty good about that. And, you know, we don't need to, you know, we don't have to just talk about this deer. It's just interesting because it's a game I've played now with him for two weeks. Yeah. I believe it's I believe it been five days of, excuse me, not full days, but five sits. Yep. Uh, total. I think that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I think I'm at five. I'll have to go back. Yeah, I think I'm at five sits. maybe four. I know it's not six, so it's four or five. Uh, I'm also really watching the weather, uh, the, the fronts that are coming in. I'm really excited because we all know what that barometric pressure does and cold fronts do for deer movement, especially in the mountains. It trumps the heck out of most stuff early season. And I think that's a key point is – you can bet your tail I'm going to be in that tree stand when all of the physical parts of the, you know, the physical earth parts, the earth science of it all starts playing in on to getting him on his feet. It cools down. He might get up an hour earlier, a half hour earlier. Uh, if it cools down and he's feeling, you know, a little frisky, he might roll in there on me at uh, eight o'clock in the morning and check that scrape. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it won't it will not surprise me whatsoever if he does, because right now out west, and you can even check, you'll see it. We're going from ninety degree weather, and we're going to drop down to seventies the rest of the month. And at night, up at that elevation where I'm hunting him, it's going to be in the forties.
1: Oh, that yeah, that's that. Those type of fronts just get me going, no matter what time of year it is. You know, I I love when that weather drops, and all of us as white toe hunters do. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And he's, you know, he's doing, he's still doing, you know, he's going to get up and go up and eat on that. In my opinion, he's going to go up and feed on that big bench and hang out with the deer that are socially hanging out at that scrape. And that's what he's doing right now. I just need him to do it daylight and we'll see what happens.
1: Well, I have confidence that I think it's going to happen here in the next couple weeks. And by the time that this podcast releases here that, uh, I'll be able to share it with the photo of you with that deer. So Troy, I'm putting some pressure on you, but, uh, I think that I don't think I even need to do that.
0: <laughs> well, I love it. I, I want to do that. It'd be really cool for the audience to actually see it play out. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's exactly why, you know, you prepare, or I prepare all year to do this. I mean, it's game time. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm having a blast though. I'm loving it. I mean, this is one thing about it. When them big deer aren't easy to kill, they, they really get the best out of you. They really suck the best out of you all the time, which is great. That's what I want.
1: Yep. For sure. I, um, well, I'm thinking Troy, I think we're going to end this episode here. I think that we, what, what I was really pumped about talking to you about this is I love being able, you're, you know, an excellent guest for this but being able to tell the story and you talking about this specific deer in this situation and being able to dissect it to the level that we have i think that the uh, the listeners here have been able to you know gather a ton of information you know when you talk in general and you and i were talking about this a little bit back and forth but when you talk in general about um, you know just tactics or whatever it might be it's hard to, you can't you can't just throw everything out there as like, Oh, this is what I do every time. Or this is, but when you talk about a specific scenario and this with a specific hunt for this one buck, like that, that really, I think you learn more from that than talking in general and in, in my opinion. So I would really appreciate you, you know, taking some time away from, you know, hunting this deer and everything for you to be able to, to talk to me again.
0: My pleasure, Bo, it's my pleasure. And, uh, I You know, today was probably a good day to give him a break because it's kind of the last day of our heat front. So I thought Thursday would be perfect. And I'm going to start jumping into that more conducive weather for me of getting to see him, you know, on his feet in the daylight. And, hey, it's it's mountain buck hunting, man. It, it's one of those things where Bo... If he, doesn't sh- if he doesn't give me an opportunity on the day that I can get to him and hunt him, it's not going to one bit uh, deflate me. It's just the first quarter. It's yep. the first quarter of this ball game, and that's how I look at it. But I'm also not going to walk away from September with any regrets. He's, he's going to get everything I can throw at him until September ends, and then he gets a little bit of a break with our season dates. Uh, and then I'll go back at him in October, you know, when when it opens back up. So anyway, no, I love it, Bo. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. And so Troy, where can people find, um, some of your stuff? Um, you know, they've, if you can go back and listen to the couple podcasts we did, and you know, since then you've been on numerous podcasts, I guess I'll just say some of the things I know here, uh, Whitetail Addictions TV, you have some episodes up there along with a bunch of other great content that that they have going on there and um your your instagram page go go through some of those things if you would
0: okay uh my instagram is mtn underscore man mountain man 33 33 is my old football number so that's the 33 reason and instagram and i love chatting with guys on instagram i do a lot of whitetail buck talking with guys there (laughs) uh with the uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear team, which is Whitetail Addictions TV, the DeQuisto family, all the Lone Wolf Custom Gear stands that we use. Uh, you know, I'm either setting in a Lone Wolf Custom Gear stand or an XOP, and that's all uh, the DeQuisto family stuff. Uh, you know, I'd love to have people, I'd love for people to check out our YouTube page, Lone Wolf Custom Gear, which shows all the Whitetail Addiction shows. Just working class guys, Bohun. That's what it is. You got working class men and women that are out bow hunting, big white tails. And then my Facebook is just my name and uh, my YouTube is just my name. And yeah, I, you know, just kind of Instagram's where I talked to a lot of guys cause it's easy, easy platform and appreciate you Bo. I really love your stuff and I'm glad we get to sit and talk whitetail bucks and the mountains. And I do agree with you. I think we both need to hunt. I need to come out and hunt those mountains someday. You need to come out and hunt these and just compare notes. And, you know, I'd be really interested to see what it's like to come out and dive into your country too, just for the experience.
1: Yeah. I, I think you would truly enjoy it. And like I said, uh, the offer is open anytime to come out here. I'd love to love to take you around and, and get to show you just the area and then, you know, and be able to hunt together sometime. I think that'd be great.
0: You know, and that's where that whole, that, I don't know what you're running this year, Bo, but that whole mobile setup that I got with lone wolf custom gear would be perfect for a hunt like that out there where I could just get on a map, go look at country, lay my eyes on it, get on a map, hike into some stuff, find some right now sign and hang and hunt. That'd be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think that would be awesome and it would be perfect to do that. So you, you hit me up on that whenever you, whenever you want and, uh, and I think we'll have some fun.
0: Sounds good, Bo. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it a lot.
1: Yeah, we'll see you, Troy.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.